Our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 5. If you want to follow along in a pew Bible or on your phone app, um, feel free to do that. The words will also be on the screen. Hear God's word. Paul writing to the church in Rome. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. I've got a reconnecting going there, tech folks, so feel free to click on forward for me. Thank you. So we're talking today about pausing with the persecuted or having solidarity and suffering. Um, just jump to the next slide right away, please. Thanks. And I just want to talk for a minute about the fact that it's hard to preach on persecution because the problem with preaching on persecution is that we aren't persecuted, that is. All right? And I want to say two things about that. The first one being that um, we aren't persecuted. So sometimes it feels to me like every time we as Christians in the West lose some privilege, which we've had since Constantine and 313, Edict of Milan, if you want some history, we start acting as if what's going on for us is we're now being persecuted. And there are some things you can definitely differ with government and leadership and the freedoms that we used to have that we don't have and all those kinds of things. Feel free to feel whatever you want about those things. I'm just asking you not to call it persecution because our friends in Afghanistan, I think, are um, slighted by that kind of a comment. Do you understand what I'm saying there, right? That, that people who have to actually be terrified to gather like we're gathering today, that's persecution, right? Losing some of the privilege that you used to have, that's just a change in the way we function in our area. So just, I just want to distinguish those two things because we're definitely talking about the persecuted church, right? The second thing is that it's hard to preach about persecution from biblical passages about persecution because we're not experiencing what these passages are about, right? These passages were written to the people actually in persecution. 
right? And so when we listen to them, there's going to be not only the gap of this was written 2,000 years ago and the gap that this is written on the other side of the world, there's the gap that it's written to people who actually totally understand exactly what's going on here. Now, I don't know about you, but I only know about persecution secondhand from people I've met, which I'll tell you a little bit about, from things that I've read, right? But um, I can't actually say that I really would say there's ever been a time in my life where I didn't feel free to believe and say and state and worship exactly as I felt like doing, all right? Now, my inner fears and all that, that's a whole other kind of story, right? But the outside stuff of our world does not leave us experiencing personal um, persecution. So we have to do something a little different. Next slide, please. So I asked this question, what would our persecuted brothers and sisters want us to know? All right, let's let them speak to us in this circumstance. And so we came to Romans 5. Ruthann read a piece of this last week. Um, this passage is powerful and challenging and beautiful. And I think our persecuted friends would love us to hear it and think about it. So that's what we are going to do. Next slide, please. So it starts with the gospel according to Romans, right? Romans, if you don't know, is Paul's letter to the, the Christians in Rome. That's the simple part. Um, but it's basically a summary of what, what we believe, what Christianity is all about. It's sort of like Paul took all of his stuff and said, I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to do my, my theology for you, and I'll lay it out for you. And he wrote Romans, and he, and he sent it on. If you, um, if you look at our catechism, the Reformed Doctrine, the Heidelberg Catechism, You'll notice it actually follows the same pattern as Romans. It's our summary of faith, right, which is based in many ways right on the summary of faith that is Romans. That's the overall thing. So in many places, and again here in chapter 5, Paul um, reiterates or restates the basic gospel. He says, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have this connection with Jesus, because we, we trust in what he did on the cross, that's what we're going to celebrate in communion a little bit later, Therefore, we have peace, he says. Now, again, remember, he's talking to people who experience terror on a reasonably regular um, basis for what they believe. And he tells them, remember, we have peace. And the heart of the gospel, and again, I, I think this is something very hard for many of us, myself included, to understand, is that the heart of the gospel is that it actually allows you to have peace even when your life is in danger because of what you believe. And he wants to lay that on the table as the foundation for the rest of the conversation in this chapter. Next slide, please. So, so far, so good. This stuff's pretty easy. Um, and so good for so far, meaning, I just want to use those same words to say, we boast, says Paul, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only is it wonderful that we have peace right now, right, based in, the, in our past in Jesus Christ, we also have hope for the future, which is that anchor hanging on to the fact that as this all comes together, the promise of the Bible is by faith, we're going to receive the fullness of this kingdom. It's all going to turn out in God's favor for his people, for the world in the end. That's good stuff. We hang on to that and we go, yeah, I believe that. That's awesome. I want to hang on to that stuff. Next slide, please. Wait, what? Not only do we glory in hope and all the wonderful things that are going to come our way, we also glory in our sufferings. How many of you, and I'll let you do a show of hands, I know you're not going to raise them anyways. How many of you have bragged about your suffering recently as a sign of the glory that you're experiencing, right? This 
This is suddenly jarring. We get the basic faith thing, that's what we teach on a regular basis, and then this. We also glory in our sufferings. We also celebrate, we praise God, that's what glorying is, because there's challenging and there's stretches and there's danger based in this faith. So again, as I said at the beginning, we have this leap we need to take because we don't actually experience the suffering in the first place. And I'm thinking that most of us don't have much inclination towards the glorying in it, even if it did happen, right? So what is our prayer for the persecuted church? The persecution would stop, right? I want us to think a bit about that reality. Next slide, please. My kids grew up with the line, it builds character. If they were here, they would learn for about the 700th time that all the sayings that dad had did not come from him. He stole them from somewhere else or somewhere else. And this one came from the Bible, not a bad choice, right? Whenever there was struggles and they were complaining, I would say, it builds character. They really appreciated that, as you can probably understand. They loved that line. My other one was, life isn't fair. That's not fair, dad. Life isn't fair. So that's a really good way of saying, don't take parenting tips from Pastor Eric, but uh, <laughs> go, go from there. So this is the, this is the verse. Um, I think I first preached on this at a funeral, and, and it, was, it was a horrible funeral. I don't know how else to say that, um, because it was a tragedy. And it was a tragedy that left tragedy. And because we're online, I'm not going to say anymore. I don't come to that realization that all kinds of people are listening. And so the people I'm talking about might be listening. I believe it that general. You get the feel. Um, and they gave me this passage. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. We know that this mess that we're walking through right now that hurts like hell, because it is hellish, right? Using that proper way, it produces perseverance. That this suffering is going to actually make us stronger. Right? I'm willing to accept that in sports where, you know, if you try really hard and you work out and your legs get sore, well, you're going to get stronger. You're going to learn to persevere. You're going you're to gain strength so that you can carry on. But suffering... Mostly we try and take that suffering away. And I'm definitely not trying to preach, let's not ever take people's suffering away. Um, there's too much of it anyways. But do understand the biblical teaching from Paul here is one who not only was a persecutor at one point, but a persecuted, that that suffering, he wants to say, we know, we who suffer know this. This is the persecuted church talking to us. They're saying, we who suffer know this, that this suffering is helping us grow stronger in our faith. Just think about that. If walking into this building for this service required that you made this decision, am I willing to get beat up for this? Am I willing to go to prison for this? Am I willing to lose business for this or lose my business for this, to lose my job? Right? That changes the dynamic of what you believe, right? So if we disagree about some of the teachings and we, we struggle with this, Right? For those people, it's a life or death question. Do I believe this enough to suffer? 
And those folks, as they go through that suffering, want to tell us that when you do believe that strongly, it does build your faith. You get grit kind of faith, because once you've said, I stand for this, you realize that that has power, that has meaning, that has strength in my life. And when you do that often enough, it actually shapes who you are. It shapes your character, right? When you go through the same challenge over and over again, that actually shapes your ability to respond. And once your character is shaped by the depth of a faith that accepts that Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything anybody else can do to you, that gives you a sense of hope. That means you now know, if God can carry me through and help me persevere through this suffering and build my character in that, then I can hang on to the fact that at the end, he's got that as well. My hope hangs on because there's going to be a better day. There's going to be a better way. And we are going to get through this time to that space. Um, normally, my main objective in dressing is to not have any comments about how I'm dressing. So dress as consistently and as neutrally as possible. But today, I want to point to my shirt. This isn't licensed to say I like your shirt today. That's not the sermon comment. But this shirt came from a persecuted Christian. His name is Pastor um, Salim Arthur. And um, he celebrated 25 years in Canada a few months ago. I was privileged to be there. And um, so funniest thing about the shirt first is, so he is a, a small Pakistani man um, who just handed me this shirt. In a row. This is the best fitting shirt I have in my entire collection. And all the rest, I actually go to the store and they can measure me and do whatever they want. But he just off the shelf picked it up and said, here, this is Pastor Eric, wear this. I think he didn't like my clothes, but, um, and it fits amazing. So what a gift. That's the least of his gifts. So when this man would preach, so we sponsored him as a refugee from Pakistan out of persecution, came to Canada. Um, he would preach in our church and I would get the comments, can you not have him preach anymore? And I said, why? He's too scary. He's too loud. He seems too, I think the word was angry, but they meant passionate. And I thought, yeah. Do you know why? Because when he used to preach, he was daring to tell people what he believed at the potential of losing his life. Now, he wouldn't say, leave me in suffering, because he obviously didn't say that. He said, please take me to Canada where it's safer. But he still goes back and he does mission, right? He started churches from afar. That's the 25 years ministry that we celebrated, that he's continued to do that, right? Here was a man who understood that the suffering that he was inviting people into on this journey would ultimately bring perseverance and character and hope. Next slide, please. And this is a functional active hope. Hope isn't like so many other things. It's not merely a feeling. Um, Paul says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, right? And that's interesting that the reason our hope is secure, the reason we can hang on to a clear and certain future is because right now God has poured out his love into us by his Holy Spirit. And so what the persecuted church is telling us is that in spite of the fact 
that they're being hurt by the people around them who are trying to persecute them for their faith, what they have received and what gives them peace and what gives them hope and what allows them to endure is that God's love is inside of them. And you know that love is an act of love because that's the only way love actually works. That love isn't completed until it's received and understood and expressed to the people around them, including those who persecute them. I'm glad we prayed today not only for the persecuted, but for the persecutors, right? Those are the ones who are in need of this active hope as well. Next slide, please. So we need to see ourselves in this story. We always need to understand our place in the gospel journey. Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's just jump to the next slide. It repeats it. Thanks. Who did Christ die for in this one, and what did that demonstrate? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ dies for sinners. We know that's about as basic as it gets in Christianity, right? And if you're a persecuted person, which sinners did Christ die for? You and the ones who are still sinning against you. This is the radical craziness of following Jesus, right? that it isn't just about us, it's about sinners, which includes us, but that set includes also the people who are hurting you. The challenge of sitting in whatever conflict and brokenness and pain that we live in, right, not just across the world, but right here in our own lives, is Christ also died for that guy, them, those, whichever distancing word you want to use. They're part of the we, whom Christ died for, because he's demonstrating that love that he's pouring into us. If we are going to love our enemy, if we are going to love the other person, it can only be because of that incredible miracle of God saying, I want to convince you of this. While you were as far away and as distant and, and as rebellious as you could possibly be, that's when I gave my life for you. I didn't wait for you to go, yeah, I'm going to clean myself up first. And then God said, okay, then, then it's for you. No, he said, it's for you no matter what, right? So I know um, we struggle because of our history with, with communion because because theology wants us to figure out exactly how this works and who gets to come. And we have this passion to protect the table and to protect Jesus. But when you see Jesus' life, Remember that he did not protect himself, right? He gave his life, and he did not determine who could come to him. He invited, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are still struggling with your stuff, which I think includes all of us, right? Christ invites us to the celebration of what he did for us. Well, we and they and this is where we pray with the persecuted church because I can't imagine how they can do this. We need to pray for those who persecute them. Not just that they would stop, but that they would stop because they would understand who Jesus is, that they would see the love that's been poured out in those who are believers in Jesus Christ under difficult circumstances. They would see their perseverance and say, if they can stand up in the face of this kind of pain and struggle and suffering and challenge, there must be something to this thing, right? There must be something to this thing. Next slide. 
So pray for the persecuted. And I know this um, on authority from them. This is what they want us to pray for first. Not that it stops, that second. They want that prayed for. Make sure that second. Pray that they may be faithful first and foremost. That's what they ask us. Please pray for us that we may remain faithful because obviously it's challenging, obviously it's threatening, obviously it's difficult. Pray for us that we can hang on, that we can testify, that we can believe, that we can be true to Jesus. Next slide. Because know that they're praying for us. Um, they think we're soft, by the way. They see that we have the incredible privilege of all the freedom that we have, and, and, and it's hard. Um, and they might not say that, I'm one of you, I get to say that to you. They think we're soft. They pray that we would be faithful. They find it mind-boggling that you can be in this country with all the freedoms that we have and not use it as fully as you possibly could, right? That, that's their challenge for us. And I guess I want to say that with this line. Keep understanding grace in that, right? It does you no good to now feel terribly guilty because you're not persecuted and you don't, right, and that they're praying for us. Receive that in this simple understanding. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still on the journey, Christ continues to reach out for us. You need that repentance experience again and again and again and again. That's just how it is. That's nothing to feel guilty about. In fact, if you feel guilty about it, come to Jesus again and just allow him to tell you this. I love you, says Jesus. I want you in my family. I even want the rotten people you don't like in my family. That's how much I love people. And receive that. And let it transform how you experience the goodness of God and the truth of life. Last slide, please. This is all together a call for a bold confidence in Jesus. Because faith, by which I mean the trust in God, the surrender to God, the passionate allowing God to be your God, can endure trials of any kind. So I've been reading um, Philip Yancey's uh, memoirs, his story of his life. And um, it's an amazing read. You don't know Philip Yancey. He wrote books like What's So Amazing About Grace, Disappointment with God, um, soul Survivor, um, Where's God When It Hurts. So basically books about grace and about suffering. And when I read his memoirs, this is my summary. He didn't say this, this is my summary. It looks to me that he grew up in the church and in hell at the same time. Understand what I'm saying? He grew up in the church and in hell at the same time. When I read his story, there's so much pain and screwed upness, I'm sure that's a word, in his life and in his church, that the fact that he became one of the best proclaimers of the gospel in written form that I know of is a miracle. He grew up, it's, it's so weird, he grew up in what I would call persecution within the church, right? It was that tough. And yet he became this incredible proponent. Phil, Philip Yancey himself talks about the churches he grew up in, um, and it was Atlanta, and it was racist. Racism was taught from the platform. That's part of the hell. Right? And then he marvels at this, and I join him in that. Why would African-American former slave people who in the name of Christianity were enslaved and beaten and killed believe in Jesus? 
that not a miracle? Praise God. And then thinking about that in terms of other conversations we're in, like Hearts Exchange, how about our indigenous brothers and sisters here in Canada who also went through residential schools? You heard lots about that in recent years. And yet so many of them are followers of Jesus. How does that system translate into faithful followers? It's because this crazy faith of ours, even when we screw it up, is stronger and more powerful than any other forces in the world. That's the message of the Bible. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. And our persecuted brothers and sisters want us to know that. They're saying, we're experiencing it, right? We'd like it to be also on your tongues, that nothing can stop the truth of the love of Jesus Christ, because when it lives in us, it gives us power and hope and strength and all that we need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us when we were pushing you away, when we were trying to persecute you. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you also that nothing could stop you and your love and your power from rising from that death victorious and that you've now invited us to be with you and in you and through you to be more than conquerors in this world, people who are sustained by your love for us and therefore able to love even in circumstances of trial and suffering and persecution. Give us that bold faith and give us the faith to hang on to you even when we don't feel like we have that bold faith. Help us to surrender ourselves to you, we pray. In your holy name, amen.